So if you will, this morning with me, turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is where we'll be reading. Um, We're in our series called Making Space. Uh, And uh, just so you know, uh, if you're a guest with us, uh, I can do apologize for our awkward family moment. Um, But I do think it was appropriate for us to do this morning. Psalm 19, 7 through 14 is where we'll be reading. Psalm 19, 7 through 14. If you will, stand with me this morning in honor of reading God's word. Psalm 19, 7 through 14 reads, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, we pray this morning that you would honor the reading of your word, that you would speak truth into our lives And Lord, that you would help us to fully understand who you are through it. Jesus, we love you. And Lord, I pray that you'd anoint me for the task now of preaching your word. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in this text, um, the part that we didn't read, 1 through 7, the context of this is he's preaching and, and, and the, he's, he's exposing in the psalm the, the revelation of God. And so he speaks of creation, how the heavens declare the wonder and the glory of God, how creation shouts there's a creator. And so the text starts out in this shouting of a creator, but there's not enough in creation to point us to our Savior. There's not enough to point us to our God. We needed more. And so the text transitions into the revelation of God, God's word. And it goes through six main things of God's word, of what it is and what it is to us. Now, God's word is, is something special, I believe, in our lives. It's something not only special, but it's something that, honestly, for many of us, holds memories. So for me, I brought a Bible with me this morning. Um, this Bible is one that sits on my shelf and it doesn't get used. Um, this Bible has only been used, as far as I know, what I was told, one time. And it was for one sermon that was given at a very special point in time in my life. I received it two years ago. So when I was a kid... My grandmother, Grammy, we can call her that, Betty Mae Johnston, um, she lived about two miles from my house. Her husband wasn't a believer. You've heard me maybe even tell stories about her before. And she was such a faithful woman. She studied her Bible all the time, even at the opposition of my grandfather, her husband. He w- it would annoy him 
when she would sit in her chair and read her Bible at night. But she faithfully read her Bible. It was all marked up. It was all highlighted. She was not of the persuasion that you shouldn't write in her Bible. She wrote in it all the time. She wore it out. So my senior year of high school, she had cancer, and I spent many nights with her just to help her because I was available and I could. I loved her deeply. I went to college, and I got a phone call when I was at college, and we knew that she was, she was dying. Her cancer was uncurable. And mom and dad said, Ryan, you need to come home. The whole family's going to get together over a weekend. So I did. I came home, me and my brothers. We came home, all of our extended family, all of my cousins, and we spent one last weekend on the farm with my grandmother. And that Sunday morning, a sermon was preached to the whole family. And this Bible was the sermon that it was preached from. And inside this Bible are the notes of the sermon that it was preached from in the handwriting of my brother Mark, who preached that sermon. Now, some of you know my brother Mark passed away just a few years ago. So there's something really special even about the words and the notes inside of this Bible because this is my brother's handwriting, writing notes on Joshua 24, 14 through 15. As he preached that morning to our family and we took communion together, and by the way, it was a fairly large crowd. There's probably 50 of us at the house where he did this. What's special is the week before my brother passed away, we, were, we sat around, we watched the rifleman gun smoke in his bed, and he would say, go down to the basement, and I'd grab a box, and we would sift through many of his possessions and things that he had. And as we sifted through a box, he handed me this Bible. And he said, I don't know why I never used it, but I didn't. There's only been one sermon that's ever been preached out of it, and it was that day when we were at Grammy's house. See, this Bible is special. It's special because it's tied to a memory. It's tied to really, really special people in my life. But what's even maybe more special than that was the people that it's connected to because it's not just sentimentality. It's they revered God's word, right? It, they, they loved God's word. They poured over God's word. They wrote sermons out of God's word. It was something important to them. And what's important about that memory to me and those people is, see, they're all gone now. And them revering God's word and abiding in his commands matter more than they ever did. Because, see, they're at peace with him because they adhered to his law and his revelation of who he was in their life. It matters. So making space for God's word This is what this text is really compelling us to do, is saying that in our lives and all the clutter and all the busyness, what is it that matters most and what is it that we're making space for? We make space for lots and lots of things in our lives, but do we make space for that which matters most? God's revelation of himself to us, his very own word. Now, one of the reasons that we need to focus on God's word, and in this text, what we're going to see, and we're going to kind of run through this quick, we're going to see it expressed right, in kind of in a, in a way of synonyms six times. And in this, the, the law is going to be referred to as, as perfect, it's right, it's true, and all of these kind of conclusive words. 
But the reason it is conclusive is there's this other, there's this other word in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's used over 200 times, and I could go into many other words, but the word is sin. Another word that they use in the Old Testament is iniquity. And the idea of sin or the idea of iniquity in the root of the word is twisted and crooked, meaning that there is a way that is not right, there is a way that is not true, that we have all diverted from. Romans says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have twisted our way away from the way of God, and we've ran our own path. And so what what the scripture calls us to is to come down the straight road, the narrow road, the way of God, the word of God, the law of God. See, the law of God exposes that which is wicked and provides a pathway of knowing God, living in step with him, not in rebellion, but submission. So let's look at the text again, Psalm 19.7. Now, in your notes, just so you know, if, if you're a type A, I'm, I'm going to mess you up so bad today. I made a mistake. Can you forgive me? So if I just need you to take your pen, and I just need you to mark out revives right there at the top. Just, just mark it out, right? No, I'd say, am I saying it right? I'm saying it wrong. Yes, no, whatever. Perfect, maybe. That first word should be law, okay? The first word should be law. So on the screen, it's right. So whatever is not that, just put law, right? Law right there. Law revives the soul. I'm sorry, so sorry. So the law of the Lord, right? The law of the Lord is perfect for reviving the soul. The law, the rule of life to humanity, how we were made, our creator God, the one who made us saying, I'm going to give you a rule of life. Now this whole section is referring to the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's it's referring to this law, it's the Old Testament, but I do believe this blankets the the whole of Genesis to Revelation, the truth of all of God's word, the truth of all of God's law, the truth of all of his revelation to ourselves. So the law of God, the rule of life to humanity, how we were made, our creator God telling us how to live best in step with him and how to live in step with him in this world. The law of the Lord is perfect. The rule of of life to us, every man, woman, and child, it is holy, it is just, it is good, it is perfect. And what's it perfect for? It's perfect for reviving the soul, bringing new life, actual life, not twisted and crooked paths, but life the way God made us and intended us to live. It is reviving to bring us to conversion, to turn us from from living toward our wickedness to living toward righteousness, to convert us in our hearts to be saved and live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it revives the soul and faith of living from moral blindness to, to having, to having the, the eyes to see that which God would have us to do in the day-to-day, the moment-to-moment, in, in our homes, in our businesses, in all facets and conversations of our life, to do to do that which is right before the sight of God. And not only is it reviving the soul, but it's restorative from sin to righteousness. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says it like this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though our outer body is wasting away, our inner body is being renewed day by day. See, there's this inner self, this reviving of the soul, this deep inner part of us, our our soul, this which lasts forever, that God is building up and building up and building up, and one day we'll be completely free with him forever in heaven. 
The care of our souls matters, making space to allow God to work in the inner places of the soul to revive us and bring us life increasingly is what his word does. Next, we see that the testimony of the Lord making wise the simple the testimony, the, the whole law of God, the, the testimony, the, the story of who he is and what he has done and how he has acted and behaved in humanity, his testimony, the whole law of God, it is sure, it is to be trusted, it is fixed, it is firm, it is stable, it is undeniable. It's compared, the comparison of sure is compared to the fleeting, shifting judgments of human reasoning. We are always moving and we're fleeting and we're shifting, but God is sure. He never changes. He never changes his mind. He never, he never turns course. It says it is fixed, firm, stable. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, enlightening our moral judgment, making wise the simple. He quickens our conscience and allowing our life to be set by the gospel. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, This life I live in the flesh, I will live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. <clears throat> See, the, the idea of the Christian life is not to be Jesus. We cannot be. Jesus already was and he is. We cannot be Jesus but we can depend on Jesus, we can believe in Jesus, and we can submit to Jesus. And this is the greater call of the Christian life, is not to be Jesus in the world, but to submit and depend and believe in him. And when we do this, he enlightens our moral judgment, he makes wise the simple, and his life comes now and lives through our life. He makes wise the simple. And continues, he, his precepts, the precepts of the Lord, are right, rejoicing the heart, the precepts, the truths, the statutes, they're right. They're worthy of setting course on. They are, this has the idea of they're right. They're the source. There's a standard in which we abide by and place our life upon. And then this, if there's something that is right, that is true, we should be attentive toward it. Listen up to what he is saying. And his precepts, they are right, rejoicing the heart. This is this odd kind of phrase, precepts, these truths, they're right, rejoicing the heart. Now, oftentimes, when you think of truths or laws or obligations, you don't think of rejoicing the heart. Like, you know, on a snow day, when you tell your children, today we're going to clean the entire house. And they rejoiced in their hearts of what they <laughs> must have, you know, no. What the Lord does is he doesn't give these stern commands, but he gives us this gracious invitation to himself. And in this gracious invitation he gives us to himself, he gives us this incredible opportunity to do what, what he desires for us, for, his, for, for our own good and his glory. God graciously invites us into this, and it rejoices the heart. Now, rejoicing is kind of a funny thing. Now, I, there's something that hasn't happened in years that is happening this year that you might not be aware of. This is playoff weekend for football. And the Browns, just kidding, uh, just kidding. And the Green Bay Packers are not in the playoffs. It's, I know, it's, and now you probably aren't Green Bay fans, but I am. Now, there's this thing that we do in our house. We, we watch the Green Bay Packers together. And when we watch the Green Bay Packers, I am an exuberant fan. And I may make a fool of myself, maybe, maybe not. 
Now, Aaron Rodgers has done this thing over the years that, that not many quarterbacks have, have, have done as much as he has, and it's called a Hail Mary pass, in which he has scored, I think, three game-winning Hail Mary passes over the last four years. And I have watched all those games with my children in the room. Now, a Hail Mary, if you don't know football, this is how it works. So the game is over, you have lost. There's no way to win and a Hail Mary is you throw the ball as hard as you can in the middle of the end zone. It's like, if you remember this game when you were a kid, it's like playing 500. Like, you know, you just throw the ball up. Whoever catches it, you hope your team catches it, and they win. So Aaron Rodgers, right, the game ending, he takes the snap. He drops back, and he waits and waits. He steps up, and he just wings it as far as he can. And we're sitting in the room, and we're waiting, and we don't know what's going to happen. And then Jordy Nelson catches it, and I grab my girls, and we run all over the room, and we're so excited. And we chest bump, and we run circles around the house, and we take off my shirt, and we do all this stuff. Right? It's so exciting, and we're rejoicing. But they're not in the playoffs this year. And we can't rejoice like that because it's not there. See, there's these rejoicing things that we do. We're so excited in life. But, but there's, they're fleeting. Like as much as that's fun, it's not forever. It, it doesn't last. It lasts as much until the next week when he threw three interceptions, broke his arm, broke his collarbone, and he's out and season's over. It doesn't last But there's this deeper rejoicing of the heart. There's something more eternal and more permanent. This week, I mentioned it last week, I I got to spend a bunch of time with a really special family, the Raber family, Judy McClintock, she works here. Mother passed. We had to do this thing, not called a memorial service, but a celebration of life service. And there was this rejoicing that's really not going to end. And for her, it's begun forever. And for us, we're going to join her in the party someday. See, the statutes of the Lord, are, they're forever. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't ever end. It, his ways, it rejoices our soul in a way that the game never ends. We never lose. The party is always going on. The law of the Lord, it rejoices the soul. His precepts, his truths, they're right. And we desire, we long because they're for God's glory and our own good. And he has graciously invited us into this. And this is incredible. And so as much as I want to chest bump and run around the house with my kids, there's so much more to rejoice about with God. His precepts, they are right, and they rejoice the heart. They're undeserved to be given, yet they are supremely beneficial to our souls. And it continues, the commandments, the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. His commandments, his directive orders and instructions, they are pure, they are uncontaminated, they are unmingled with mistrust they're spotless and they are clean they're without fault and what his commandments and the purity of them do is they enlighten our eyes they give light to the intellect they open our eyes so that we can see things as they are paul would pray this for the ephesian believers he says oh that you would illuminate the eyes of their heart that they might know the hope to which they've been called the 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 the, sorry, got the word here, wait, go, the, the riches of his inheritance in the saints. 
and the power directed toward those beliefs. Oh, that you would open their eyes because they do not see clearly that which is theirs in Jesus. His commandments are pure and they open our eyes to see truth as it is and life as it was intended to be by him. The word of God opens our eyes to see things not as they are, but as God intended and desires them to be. How we might live for his honor with his power, with his peace, and with his presence in our life. Next, the text, the fifth, is he, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord. Now, this is an interesting one. It's different than the others because all of the rest have been this external thing. The word has been expressed as this external thing. Now, it's moves to this internal habit of the soul to take him seriously, his reverence, yet power. See, the fear of the Lord is something that I don't just possess, but as I read his word, his revelation of himself to me, I will grow in fear and reverence and honor as I know him more and more intimately. The fear of the Lord is clean Enduring forever. See, the clean, it's untarnished, it's not contaminated, it's pure, it's perfect. It endures forever, this perpetual obligation that it will continue to move on as I'm fearing him increasingly as I grow in knowing who he is and what he has done. It's hard not to fear a God who can split a sea. It's hard not to fear a God who can wipe out a city. It's hard not to fear a God that would excessively love us so much to send a son to redeem us. It's not just his power, it's his love and his grace. It's unmatched. There's none like him. We can't comprehend the depths of who he is. He is far above us and far beyond us. college I remember I played flag football on and off on different teams and I'd become a Christian and we'd kind of been walking with different guys and different people that were Christians and discipleship groups I remember this one guy that was in one of my discipleship groups and we were playing flag football and I don't know if you've ever been around flag football in college but that probably is like the epicenter of sin on earth right it's like this moment like if you've ever seen officials yelled at Like, you've seen nothing until you've seen a flag football game of fraternity guys and college guys yelling at officials. Everyone got fouled. Everyone should have a flag, like, on every play. He held me. All all these things are going on. So one of my friends thought he had had the injustice of his life happen, right? The injustice of his life had happened on the flag football field. And, And the official was standing there, and he began to light that official up. Now, it's one thing to say, hey, you got the call wrong. But he lit him up in a way that we were all embarrassed, right? Embarrassed with his vulgarity, with the way in which he handled it. And I remember saying to him, hey, I said, hey, dude, you need to chill out, dude. You're a Christian. Like, don't forget your faith in this moment. That's what I was trying to say. Not like just shape up and do right. Like, don't forget your faith in this moment. And he goes, faith is for the church and football is football. I'm like, okay. But I'll tell you what this exposed about him. He didn't fear the Lord. Because he didn't know God. 
He didn't believe that God was omnipresent. He didn't believe that God was omniscient. He stopped believing that God was present in the moment to moment, the day to day of his life, so he could live in certain parts and portions of his life disconnected from God because God wasn't there. God was there, and his sin was ever before him. And I do hope and believe it was much of just a discipleship issue in his heart because this was something that he didn't really had grown in yet in his life, of the fear of the Lord, because maybe he hadn't been in his Bible much or maybe he hadn't been around Christian teaching much to truly understand how wonderful, awesome, and powerful our God is. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. His word teaches us to lovingly fear him, reverently fear him, because we know the fullness of him, his expanse, his nature, his capabilities. And then last, the rules of the Lord are altogether righteous. The rules of the Lord are true, and they're altogether righteous. The rules of the Lord, the entirety of the law, they're true, It's always, whenever truth is said, it pairs against, it's not a lie, that which is false. It is true, and it's altogether righteous, holy, exceedingly true in every way. See, rules in this aren't something we love. We tend to treat them as suggestions in life. I know in my home, many of my rules are treated often as suggestions, like, anyway, I won't go into specifics, right? But in in my world... Um, that's how that works. And we like to tend to not deal with rules well in life. I mean, how many of you love rules in this room? There's some of you that do. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Some of you like rules. Nobody will admit it in here. There we go. All right. Love rules. Um, Love rules. But rules, we tend to treat as suggestions if they're not our own rules. But this is different with God. His rules are true. There's no compromise. His ways aren't to be bartered. They are not to be, this is not a word, it is not to be situationally ethicked. I made up ethicked. I don't think that's how you say that. They're not to be bartered situationally ethicked, but to be revered and held because he is the Lord and he is the final authority in our lives. And the text transitions, and we'll say this to close. The text transitions, and I think this is an amazing passage for many reasons, but what the author does is he changes the tone. So we've revealed the word of God, God's revelation himself, and then it says, verse 10, this this word, it's more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. So treasures, money, Cash? Anybody love some money in this room? I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't mind having cash. It's not a bad thing. Like, and I don't think the Bible says it's a bad thing. It's not supposed to be an ultimate thing. And what he says in this is that, that more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, meaning that the word of God is more valuable than what most people value most. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb something of excessive value, but also this sweetness that is unparalleled. There is nothing that creation makes sweeter than honey. God's word is to be desired, and that word desired isn't like, uh, okay, God, I'm going to spend time in your word. It's I want to. 
I desire to. I want to make space for you and your word in my life because it's more valuable than anything else. It's sweeter than anything else in this world. And then it says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. Can't get away from this in Scripture that there is a reward for being faithful to God in heaven. Then it doesn't stop. Who can discern his errors? Meaning, who can see into us? Who can discern our errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Oh, the word of God just changed in this text. It went from being the law and all these precepts are true, they're right, it's good, it's valuable. Now, Lord, would you put my life up to it like a mirror? Let me see myself. He says, and he says, Declare me innocent from my hidden faults, meaning I don't even think I know everything about me. I think there's things hidden in me that dishonor you. Reveal them to me. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous sins meaning there are willful things that I do to completely disregard you, God. Keep me from that. I don't want to willfully disregard you in my life but I want to hold you as holy, true, and right. Let them not have dominion over me. Request, God, I don't want to be controlled by my sin. I want to be controlled by you, your law, and your ways. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then there's this desire, the psalmist writes, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. He ends with this declaration of, God, I I don't want my doings, my talking, my most inner places, I don't want anything in me to walk in a dishonorable way with you. And then he concludes with this phrase, O Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. The psalmist making this kind of capstone statement at the end. My Lord, the one who rules and reigns over me, in which I have subscribed to his ways. My rock, the one who is my strength in life. I am not my own strength, but I have one who is stronger in which I trust in. My rock, my redeemer, my deliverer from death, hell, and the grave, my redeemer, the one who frees me from my sin, makes me no longer a slave to it, but increasingly frees me until one day I see him face to face, O Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. So this morning, I believe the text implores us to make space for God's word, to not disregard it, to not shove it to the side. And as we walk, continue to walk through these 40 days of prayer and fasting, of making space, I'd just like you to consider where are you with God? Where are you in relationship to your time with him in his word? 
I know for me, as I look back in time, that Bible sitting right there means the world to me. I probably will never use it much outside of what it's already been used for, and I probably should, but I don't know if I can. But see, again, that's a sentimental thing for me. What matters more is these people that I knew pressed into it so hard, and they modeled to me what it meant to take God at his word, even when it was hard. And I hope today for us that we can say, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, I'm going to take you seriously and I'm going to make space in my life for your word because it is to be treasured more than gold. It is sweeter than honey. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your word. We believe that your ways are true. We believe that in your scriptures, Lord, contain the ways of life. And Lord, even today, it's like looking in a diamond, Lord. The facets of your word and, and all that you are, Lord, it's, it's even hard to comprehend at once. But Lord, would you increasingly reveal yourself to us that we might walk in your ways, that we might love you, we might revere you, that we might find you, we might walk in your ways, and Lord, one day, see you face to face. So Lord, for the person who's never trusted in you, Lord, I pray today, for the first time, you would help them to say, my Lord, my rock, my redeemer. You'd help them to repent of their sins, turn in faith to you, Jesus, and be saved. For those of us who are saved, Lord, forgive us for times or seasons or even right now, disregarding your word, not holding it to the highest place that we should. Lord, we thank you for giving us a straight path in which we can walk in honor and glory to you and in freedom in us. Lord, we believe that your word is true. We believe that it is valuable and precious. Lord, help us to make space for you. We ask this in Jesus' name.